Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you before, I'm glad to, to be here with you today. Um, I want to tell a little story. Uh, this is about four, four years ago, this, just this last fall. Um, Cindy and I, my wife and I, we went to, to Louisville, Kentucky, and we, I, was, I was doing an Ironman triathlon in Louisville, and um, I happened to be part of like this large group of people who were all down there doing this race. Um, and they were all connected uh, based on like an online, we were all part of the same Facebook group. We all like had the same, like we had a relationship with the same coach. And so it was just sort of this like, hey, we're like, some of us are going to be doing the race and like, let's all get together while we're down here, if you can make it. And uh, so we had Friday night, like dinner plans uh, before the race. I think the race was Sunday morning. And, and, you know, they had a restaurant booked in town and, you know, everybody be there at seven. Right. And I was kind of excited because it's like, you know, these are online friends. I haven't met them in person. And, um, you know, we're down there for this experience and I'm excited to see like, oh, make some connections with some new folks. And so dinner was at seven and uh, Cindy and I arrived at about 7.02. Right. Uh, We walked into the restaurant and, you know, couldn't figure out where we were supposed to be. And they're like, oh, the banquet room sort of like downstairs. Well, great. We went downstairs. And, you know, as we walked in at 7.02, kind of into the banquet room, it was very clear. We were the last ones that were there, right? We were the last ones. Everyone was sitting down. Everyone was chatting it up. They were like, we weren't doing the like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. They were like in conversation, and so I was like, that feels like weird. So we, we, we grabbed like a couple of the few remaining chairs and we sat down and we introduced ourselves to the people who were sitting at the table with us. And that was the last time anybody talked to us. It was really weird. After about 20 minutes, I leaned over and I said, hey, are they going to like come to our table and take our order or something? And they looked at me like I was speaking a different language. And they said, oh, we, everyone already ordered. And I was like, When? We were literally like two minutes late. When did you all like the 40 of you arrived and like put your orders in? And I was clearly missing something. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but for me, like that story encapsulates a particular feeling that I have experienced throughout my life. This feeling like I'm in this group And I'm pretty sure I'm like following the rules of the road, but it seems like everybody else knows a secret set of rules, right? Like I'm I'm part of this thing, but like they're all part of something more. I remember when I was taking a seminary class online and I was asking the professor a question. We were like almost done with the semester. And he had said, yeah, I think I saw on the Facebook group that people were talking about this. And I was like, there's a Facebook group that like I could have been a part of this whole time. You know, that night for me felt, just like that. Now I'm a, I'm a grown up, and you know I'd never met these people anyway, so it's not like my feelings got too hurt, you know. But but that's kind of my point. That we kind of get used to it. We look at that and say that's not super strange, and that the longer we spend in this world, the more we sort of understand the truth that belonging is kind of tricky. Belonging is kind of a tricky thing, and we face it every day in a thousand different ways. In fact, listen to some of these statistics that I found that nearly half of Americans, I don't know what's happening in other countries, but Americans, report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. Uh, 25% of Americans say they rarely or never 
feel as though there are people who understand them. Two in five, 40%, sometimes or always feel that their relationships, the relationships they have are not meaningful and that they are isolated from other people. And then this one, only half of Americans report having meaningful in-person interactions on a weekly basis. Belonging is tricky. And the world that we live in has an increasingly complicated relationship with the idea of belonging. What does it mean to find ourselves belonging, right? We used to have all kinds of social clubs in our, in our culture, uh, our, and our identities were often shaped around what we belonged to. You know, that could have been like your local Elks Lodge or the Rotary Club or the Knights of Columbus, which I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, right? Maybe it was like the volleyball team from your local church or your choir, uh, or, or maybe it was the bowling league in your neighborhood, whatever it was. These were places where we found belonging and identity. And it seems like these are fewer and farther between now. Now they seem like they might be online in a Facebook group that you didn't know you were supposed to be part of, right? And as we've been discussing uh, in this series throughout the church, this is one of the things I think that, that become a great moment of opportunity for the church and opportunity for the church to matter in the culture we live in. Because if that's the picture of what's true, what we experience, then we have a gift that the isolated world could use, don't we? Because we have a message of belonging. In fact, when Jesus came to teach us to cre- how to create the kingdom of God on earth, just like it is in heaven, uh, he talked about this very thing. In John 15, he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this is something that we can actually step to the table with. Today, we're in the middle of this sermon series about what it means to make this church, make the church matter to the world. And this topic of belonging, I think, is so central to why the church can matter in an increasingly individualized society. And we started with the idea, first and foremost, that it is partnership, not membership, that can transform in our culture. That idea of belonging. And to be those kind of partners in the gospel together, we at Harbor Churches believe that there are four essential commitments that we that holds us together in a world where things don't tend to stay together. And, and the first one was saying yes to God. We said that the idea of committing ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is more than just a few magic words or believing the right ideas. So we talked about that. Uh, last week, we talked about the, cent- the second commitment, which is saying yes to taking next steps. That committing to change and transformation is what makes the church matter. And so today we're talking about our third essential commitment, saying yes to communities of belonging. And we, we, we say it like this, that our partnership commitment number three is, I commit, in, I commit to participate in this community of belonging as we together seek to be centered on Jesus. I commit to participate in this community of belonging. One of the things that holds us together is a commitment to participating in a community of belonging. But as I've said, we have a complicated relationship with belonging, don't we? Belonging is tricky. And, and what I love about the church, I often say this, or about the Bible, is that the Bible is full of stories who, of people who are dealing with problems just like you and I are. 
uh, even the very first beginnings of the church 2,000 years ago had a complicated relationship with belonging. And I'll read you an example in Acts chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So this is a a story of conflict. And just to catch you up on what brought us to this story of conflict, 12 chapters earlier in Acts, uh, the church took a huge step forward. After the resurrection, there were a number, number of disciples who were living in and around Jerusalem. That These were these Jewish followers that were now following Jesus. And they started living into this teaching, this reality that Jesus gave them. They started building the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And Acts 2 verse 42 describes what this looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. So it's a pretty nice picture. This is right away after Jesus. This is how they were living. A bunch of Jewish people in and around Jerusalem laying out this new way of life on top of like their previous religious experience and heritage. But in the chapters that follow things start to change. Christians start to be persecuted by the Roman Empire and it, and it spreads them out. They, they leave places like Jerusalem and Israel and they go to other places uh, in that part of the world. And they carry this way of life that they've learned with them. And so they start talking about Jesus. They start living like Jesus in these places well beyond Jerusalem. And they start doing this with non-Jewish people, Gentile people, strangers, and it was working, right? They, they started to hear about all these other Gentiles that started to be like, hey, we weren't part of this, but we want to get on board. This, we want to follow Jesus too. In fact, in Acts 11, it tells us that Antioch, not Jerusalem, was the first place that these people were called Christians, And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, the first bit that I read there, we're starting to get debates. We're starting to get into arguments. What do these other people, these outsiders, these Gentiles, these people from these other places, what do they need to do in order to belong with us? That's the central question. Because at this point, the people who are coming out of Israel and Jerusalem, uh, they are Jewish Christians. And central to their experience was the Torah, in particular, the laws of Moses. Circumcision being one that was really prominent. These laws set us apart in our way of life. They've grown up living that way, knowing that way. But then you've got guys like Paul and Barnabas who are out in Antioch with all these non-Jews, these Gentiles, and would argue that some of these practices, particularly circumcision, is totally meaningless to our new friends who are following Jesus. It's not part of their story. It's not part of their history. It doesn't mean anything to them. So they have some arguments. What does it mean to belong to this movement? 
And they decide to go to Jerusalem and pick up this argument and work it out together with everyone there. And that's where we start. So uh, it continues in verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This is not surprising. People who belong to the party of the Pharisees, their number one goal in life was to abide by the law of Moses. In fact, I would argue that what I read in the Gospels, actually their number one goal in life was to make sure other people abided by the law of Moses, right? So they're super about that, right? Uh, The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. James says, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. So you can see they are really focused on figuring out the answer to this question. What does it mean to be a part of us? Right? They have, the text tells us they have much discussion. It tells us this brought people into sharp debate and argument. Uh, the elders and the, and the apostles, they're all part of this thing. And then Peter uh, stands up. And Peter is not the guy who went out into Gentile territory. He wasn't a missionary. He didn't get spread out there. He was sort of leading the church at home. He was leading the the Jewish Christians uh, here in Jerusalem. And he stands up and he tells the story. And he says, I see what God has been doing in those other people. (laughs) And because of that, I want to challenge you, our people. Why should they have to follow the rules that are even hard for us to follow? Just because we do it? That doesn't make any sense. So he kind of lays that out for them. And then Paul and Barnabas just start in on story after story about what God is doing, how he's moving amongst others, amongst people who are different from them. And finally, Peter ends this, this conversation in verse 19 with this statement. He stands up and he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's kind of a beautiful statement, right? It's born out of a ton of arguing and a lot of different perspectives. Born out of what God is doing and about new things that God is doing. Born out of people who really, really want to get it right. But it shows us, even back then, especially in the church, belonging is tricky. It took all of that work to get to a statement that says we shouldn't make it hard for them to belong. Belonging is tricky. 
And I think that offers us a real good news, bad news scenario for us today in the church right now. I mean, the good news is that people who follow Jesus get it. People who follow Jesus get it. They started living out this commitment to communities of belonging. We saw in Acts 2, like, they were together all the time and had everything in common. But even beyond that, look at how Jesus' followers teach people to follow Jesus. Paul, for example, in Romans 12 For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's Paul saying this is how you guys should live out the faith, right? Uh, John, the apostle John in 1 John says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Even John's vision in in the book of Revelation, uh, at the end of all things, this this vision that he has, he describes it this way in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. This is why I get why Peter says, we should not make it difficult for people to belong. It's all throughout the Bible. People who are following Jesus get it, and they live this out. And and I believe this is a big part of what Christ has in mind for the church. In a world filled with loneliness, he imagines a community of belonging. And he imagined that, that his people live into it. And there's story after story after story of where that's happening. That's the good news in the scenario, right? But the bad news in this scenario is that we also create division. The church in particular also seems to create division. Today, we don't look like that Revelation 7 with every tribe, nation, and tongue around the throne. Instead, we often, as the church, look like we're marked by division more than belonging, right? The church is often characterized as people who don't listen, people who are mean, people who are judgmental. Sunday mornings are the most racially segregated hour in the church across our nation. Christians are not always known as people who create belonging, but keep people from belonging. And now I know that's not you. I've met you. You're pretty great. You're fun to have breakfast with, right? But does it bother you that we, the the royal we, are known in that way? It bothers me. Because that doesn't seem like the image of the church that Jesus or his apostles have. And if we can't find belonging in the church, people will find it in other places. People will find more belonging in their political party and more identity there. People will find more belonging in their pickleball club. People will find more belonging to those who share the same thoughts and ideals. Today, people seem to be finding their belonging everywhere else but in the church. So for us, church becomes a place we go rather than a people we belong to. When we think of belonging in the church, we often tend to think of it more of a contract than a covenant, right? Like, uh, I'll give you $100 a month and Verizon will give me my cell phone service. That's how it works. If I don't pay my bill, they stop giving me my service. If Verizon does something I don't like, I'll switch over to Sprint, whatever it is. That's a contract. Covenant is different. Covenant is a relationship founded on commitment to one another. 
It means that even if the contract is broken, because of our commitment to each other, we're going to do what it takes to come together. That's what I see in Acts 15, right? People who are in sharp debate about what does it mean for people to belong. Well, these people were covenanted together. So they said, we got to figure this out. We got to work together. I mean, I know Paul's telling them this and James is telling them this, but what are we going to do about it? We got to come together. Uh, one legal website gave me like four bullet points on defining the difference between contract and covenant that I find interesting. And uh, here, here's the four. While a contract is legally binding, a covenant is a spiritual agreement. Again, this is a lawyer website. <laughs> like this is the legal definitions of these things. Uh, a contract is an agreement between parties while covenant is a pledge. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part in the deal. In a covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations, right? If one of us stops participating well, the covenant says, we're going to work on this together. And then the, the, the last one here is a contract exchanges one good for another while a covenant is the giving of oneself to the other. One of those sounds a lot more like Jesus to me. It's not contract. But I think it's far more common to view our belonging in the church as a contract rather than a covenant. I'll give you my attention, give you my presence, my fellowship, my attendance, as long as we're all agreed on the terms. And we all agree to the same thing. That's a contract, right? That's why I think these commitments in this series are so important to what it means to be partners in the gospel mission. It's that we commit to partnering together. We commit to participating in a community of belonging. And at Harbor Churches, we tend to think that covenant relationships are way better than contract ones. Uh, They're harder, but that is the kind of belonging that we're after. Belonging is tricky, but we commit to participating in it. And participating in it doesn't just mean receiving it. It also means creating it. And so I want to use the last kind of part of the message today to give us four ways that we can build that kind of belonging, that we can create communities of belonging uh, together. And I want to look at one more story in the Bible. Uh, let's go to a simple story about Jesus that I think demonstrates what it actually means to have this, this covenant to participation in belonging. And this is out of Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, our friends who want to do everything the right way, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So Jesus meets a tax collector named Matthew, uh, someone who's Jewish, someone uh, in the Galilee or in in Israel, but someone who works for their oppressors, for Rome. That's what a tax collector does. They work for Rome to take money from the Jewish people. So essentially a traitor, right? Uh, And Jesus says, come and be one of my 12 core guys. 
Be one of my 12 disciples. Like you guys have un, uh, like access to me that no one else does. You're one of the top 12. Matthew got up and followed him. So far, so good. But then Matthew throws a dinner party because if you're Matthew, I would imagine this is a really big deal in my life and I want to like share it with the people I love, right? And he throws uh, uh, a dinner party. And at this dinner party, uh, I start to see four principles of creating belonging at work. And the first one is this. At this dinner party, I see that the first principle is that communities of belonging are always permeable and never closed. They're always permeable and never closed. So Matthew is a tax collector, right? And his friends are other tax collectors and sinners, as the Pharisees refer to them as. And they just start showing up at this dinner party. And Jesus doesn't turn them away. He doesn't say, this is for the 12 guys that I'm working with here. We got a, 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 we got a, a, a little small group here. Nobody else can get in here. Jesus doesn't turn them away. Matthew sure doesn't turn them away. So what marks a community of belonging is that they just keep adding tables and chairs. They just keep finding another spot, right? They're permeable. You can enter in from the outside. One of my favorite things about this church on a Sunday morning is that I often get to kind of stand in the back as we're uh, beginning our our service together and, and watch our volunteers work. And I mean, every single week we get to set out chairs, right? And there's a way to do it. Like it's that, uh, it's that line, that red line. We got to put our back legs on that line. And then, and then these are particularly measured further apart. Like the first set of legs is 45 inches and the second set is 55 inches. And, and well, no, <laughs> did I get it wrong? What is it? I don't know. But then the, the rows are X and we set it all up because we're expecting you to show up and we've created room for you, right? But uh, as I'm watching that, as their service starts, and then some of you show up 20 minutes later uh, or whatever it might be, uh, and I'm watching people grab chairs, right? Set out chairs for people. Jamestown Harbor is really good about adding chairs. We're really good at that. We would have fit right in at Matthew's dinner party because we're permeable. We're creating space for you. And that challenges us. What about you, right? Can people from the outside enter into your relational circle? Is it permeable? Or do you sit at the same table with the same people for every meal? Do people with different perspectives and experiences uh, fit into your life? Do they find room there? Communities of belonging are always permeable and never closed. And again, Matthew is this tax collector, right? So his friends are tax collectors and sinners, and that's how the Pharisees look at them. Uh, And in Jesus' culture, there's a big divide between, like, the good and the bad, between the holy and the sinner, if you want to think about that. Basically, what happens all throughout the scriptures and in this culture is there's a lot of othering happening. Do you know that phrase, to other someone? It's essentially to disconnect them, to create a them and an us to represent someone as opposite or different, uh, other than yourself. Uh, and that little dinner party is where we see uh, principle number two at work. The first one is that it's permeable and, and never closed. And the second is that community of belongings actually extend radical hospitality to the other. And it strikes me that all of this happens around a dinner table in this story. That something about feeding people, sitting with them, sharing life to them uh, with these moments is, is what this whole thing is centered around, right? 
That's hospitality, right? Hospitality is not smiling and waving, right? That's just being a normal person, I think, right? Hospitality is not smiling at and, and waving at someone when they enter into your home, into your space, and then not engaging them or talking with them. Hospitality is actually sharing your life together. But in this scene, it's specifically hospitality towards the other, towards people who are on the other side of a spectrum from you. Perhaps you've heard of, uh, of the word xenophobia. Uh, it's a Greek word. It means fear of the other. Uh, that means that people who are not like me threaten me. But when you look at this scene, you find the opposite, which is xenophilia, which is love for the other. People who are not like me. Which means that communities of belonging, if you're going to participate in that, you focus on sharing your life with others. The others, the outsiders, the foreigner, the Gentile, the stranger, the people who are different than you. I don't know how much of your time you spend othering. We all do it. It's normal in our culture. Fearing, avoiding, arguing with the perceived other. Or are you looking to the other first? The person who loves what you hate. Maybe they hate what you love. The people who don't agree with you, look like you, think like you. Communities of belonging extend radical hospitality to the other. Which brings me to our third principle in this story. Communities of belonging practice reconciling instead of dividing. You want to know who hated tax collectors? Everybody. They all did. But especially people like Jesus' disciples, many of whom were maybe business owners, right? They had a fishing business, and they had to pay exorbitant taxes to people like Matthew, literally taking money out of their pockets to feed their families. Which means that the people who extort money and the people who were extorted uh, sit down for a meal together? People who are injured sit down at the same table as people who are injuring them. It just feels like it would be really tense. And if it were my, like, dining room, I would put some people at the kids' table and other people at the other table, just to separate them out, right? But Jesus didn't do that. The story doesn't show that. He didn't give them their own tables in different rooms. Neither Jesus nor Matthew were particularly worried about two sides of others, and how comfortable they felt. It's sort of like, well, uh, there's a place to say, well, if they want to care about this or live like this, they can do that on their own. That's not what's happening in the story. They sat them down in the same place because community of, of belonging practice reconciling instead of dividing. And reconcile is just a big fancy word for bringing together. And that's what a community of belonging does. It brings people together, particularly others, people who are othered of each other. And that kind of together, it's just not easy. I love this quote by Francis Chan in his book, Letters to the Church. He says, think of everything it takes for a family to stay together. All the acts of service it requires, all the forgiveness and grace that must constantly be extended, all the times when one person's desires have to be lovingly laid aside for the desires of others. It is easy to talk about unity but it requires a kind of mutual commitment that is all but absent in our churches. Communities of belonging practice reconciliation instead of division. We care more about a person than a perspective. We love each other even in our disagreement. 
So that brings us to our fourth principle. Communities of belonging are always permeable. They're never closed. They extend radical hospitality to the other. They practice reconciling instead of dividing. And then fourthly, they are centered on something bigger. The sinners and the tax collectors eat with Jesus. And they have lots of stories for Jesus. They have lots of questions for Jesus. And he patiently sits there and eats with them. He explains things to them. He answers their question. Probably tells a joke. I imagine Jesus was a good joke teller. I don't know why. I just do. And then this goes on for hours and hours because they keep adding chairs and tables, right? People keep showing up. So long that it starts to attract the attention of these religious leaders in town. And they show up and they ask, not Jesus himself, they ask his followers, why would he eat with these people? And Jesus says, listen, I came for these people, not you people, right? And together they gather around Jesus long enough for them to grasp and to share good news from God. And what I see in this story is that it doesn't happen without Jesus. This story does not happen if it's just centered around a bunch of tax collectors eating together. It doesn't happen if it's centered around a bunch of Pharisees and their religious practices. It doesn't happen if the story is centered around one side convincing the other side to move to the other. Because communities of belonging only happen when they are centered on something bigger, in particular, Jesus Christ. Certainly we find belonging in our golf leagues, our fantasy football teams, our yoga classes, whatever it might be. But the fourth principle is that communities of belonging are centered on something more than that. Belonging truly happens when we're centered on Jesus Christ. And you see, that's why this commitment number three to participating in communities of belong, excuse me, belonging builds on the previous two. We can only be those kind of people who create belonging if we are also the kind of people who are committed to being shaped and take next steps, like we talked about last week. And we can only be shaped and take next steps if we are people who are committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. That's the only way this happens. So let me close today with an invitation. I'm going to give you one of three to pick from today. You get to choose your homework. I'm going to give you three options depending on where you are in your life, what God is saying to you in this message. You get to pick one. First, if you are someone in this space who does not feel like they found a community of belonging, this church wants to hear that from you. I want to hear that from you. I want to help you find your people. I want to help you find where you are belonging. And so if that's someone, if that's you today where you say, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I haven't been able to find those people, perhaps your next step is just to raise your hand, not physically, but maybe write your card, come talk to me after the service, whatever it is. But just your next step might be to say, I want that, and I need help finding it. Second, if you are someone who is living in relational contracts instead of covenants, I'd love to help you move forward in belonging. Your church would love to help you move forward to find belonging. Because we recognize that relational contracts are painful. Relational covenants are life-giving. So if you're hearing this message and thinking about your own life and you say, you know, when I look at the landscape of my life, my relationships all feel like contracts. I get it. 
I know what that feels like. Um, that's hard to maintain. Maybe for you, the next step is just, again, to step forward and say, I don't want that. I want something more than that. And invite your church to help you take that next step. Uh, and then finally, if you are someone that calls Jamestown Harbor Church your home, I get that's not all of us, but for those of us who it is, I'd invite you to consider how you are helping create communities of belonging, not just experience them. I wonder if there's a way that you would look at your life and say, you know what, I have some belonging. In fact, these are a lot of my people and it feels good to belong there. Perhaps your next step is to say, how am I creating that for someone else? And again, I'd love to help you do that. Your church would love to help you do that. But there is a next step for those of us who are experiencing belonging. And it's not to stop there. It's to say there's probably some other (laughs) that I can create belonging for. You can name other however you want. But I'd love to hear from you, whether that's an email, a card, a phone call, even just a conversation. I'd especially love to hear if you find that the church has been inhospitable to an other in your life. I would love to hear that and talk about how we can move that forward. You know, when we we, uh, planted this church, I used this image and I talked about, uh, I know what's behind the doors of my home, what's broken in here, what's broken in my family. I don't always share that. In fact, most of us don't share that. But I also know that behind the doors of every home in this community, there are stories like that. And so if we as a church want to uh, commit to being people who participate in a community of belonging, when we get behind those doors, we're going to find things that don't belong. We're going to find secrets. We're going to find shame. We're going to find things that we flat out disagree with, morally, religiously, politically, whatever you want. And yet Peter's words still echo today for the church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Belonging is tricky, but the church can matter so deeply in this world by its people who commit to creating belonging and participating in belonging. So that's our challenge today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I am grateful that our sense of belonging and our identity doesn't actually come from ourselves, but it comes from you. So God, I pray that we would be a people who are centered on you first and foremost, and that out of that, uh, a community of belonging would grow. God, that we may be permeable, that we may be about reconciliation. God, that we may practice radical hospitality for whoever we would claim as other. God, you did that. Story after story we read throughout the text of you being that kind of God. And Lord, forgive us when we've othered instead of invited. Forgive us when we've put ourselves at the center instead of you. And God, guide us uh, into belonging. Help us to experience it and extend it as well. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.